Hello everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness. I'm your host Ant and today I'm delighted to be joined by Niall Murphy who you all know as the face of Through an Opaque Lens. Hello Niall, thank you for joining us today. Uh, all right Ant, yeah it's about time uh, me and you um, spoke yeah, as we've yeah. both been in this uh, space for quite a while. Yeah, yeah and I, just, just so uh, the audience know I have to say you always uh, were an inspiration for Mike and myself when we started Discerning Consciousness back in uh, 2015. I uh, uh, really did uh, enjoy watching or listening, I should say, uh, to Shamanic Freedom Radio. So before we get into today's discussion on the whole uh, dreaded conspiracy narrative and perhaps how we can navigate it in a more constructive way, shall we say, and move beyond all the doom porn, um, I wonder if you could just tell uh, the viewers uh, just a little bit about how you first got into the alt media and, as I was saying, your channel, Shamanic Freedom Radio. All right. Well, the best the best way I could describe it is I sort of uh, just uh, bumbled my way in like a clown <laughs> uh, improvising and winging. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and I just thought, well, there was a few other people who were doing, um, you know, uh, podcasts or with you know i'm using posmatic and things like that yeah um and um i was first inspired by people who were doing things related to psychedelic matters yeah but there's only so far you can go with that and it gets a bit you know so um but anyway um uh, when i started doing it and i just found i managed to get some good interviews this is the thing i yeah. got some very good interviews early on yeah and it seemed in those much easier the internet was smaller people were easier to get in touch with you yeah. know where now i'm i'm finding out i'm only i've only got a hundredths of the fame <laughs> or a thousand fame that's not open. yeah sure so the internet gargantuan compared to the way it was in what, 2006 or seven yeah and um so yeah it was kind of easy to to do that but then i've done some interviews and a lot of the time i didn't um, do interviews i just It'd just be me mm. but in recent years, i suppose i kind of just become a little bit more insular and um been less wanting to you know interview other people yeah um and then i i kind of got to a point with radio i just got a bit sick of it i just wanted to uh i thought i was going to come back in video form one day i didn't know when it would be mm. um but i wanted to i wanted to do something new that was discontinuous with what i'd done there so that it would feel like um it would yeah. feel like as if i was in a new space yeah. And now that's why I'm doing the channel. And it's yeah. also a little bit more stripped down and simplified compared mm. to how I used to do things. Mm, cool. So, yeah, that's cool. Right. So um, first question I want to pose you today, Niall, is um, what do you think is at the core of the problem with a lot of conspiracy narratives, especially, shall we say, as we're in COVID times, related to the COVID vaccinations? Because I know you've spoken about this a lot and uh, I've enjoyed watching your videos recently, your concerns with uh, the sort of the way in which this narrative is disempowering. It, it can create a sort of paranoid state of mind and ultimately, it kind of uh, helps us manifest the very world that perhaps these so-called dark controllers uh, want to bring about. So what, what's your take on this then? Well, I've kind of, I mean, I don't know, how can I say? Um, I've been following conspiracies in some form or other for donkey's years. I mean, I'm yeah. probably, my, 
my knowledge and awareness of the conspiracy narrative is probably older than half the conspiracy theorists who are around <laughs> these days now. And, you know, um, that's the real concern I have. That, um, and the more I've gone through these times, the more I've seen this sort of repetitive pattern. You know, how it's always like, you know, it's the end of the world. It's always the end of the world. Um, we're always about to lose more freedoms. It's always going to be North Korea in five years' time. Um, we're all, they're always going to kill us, but I mean, I don't know. All I know is that if they are going to kill us, they bloody better hurry up and do so. Because I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm halfway to Beatty from when they started promising to kill us, and I still haven't been killed by them. So, so I'm starting to have my doubts about some of the more doomy, gloomy conspiracies at this point. Mm. Right? Um, a lot, enough time has gone by for me to become deeply, deeply skeptical. But then um, I think I had one, um, what you would call what. Um, uh, potheads or alcoholics who are now on the wagon would refer to as a moment of clarity um, <laughs> when the flat earth that was the thing um, I realised um, that I absolutely truly definitely knew 100% objectively that there was no way they could be right about any of this having travelled and having been one of the people who looks up at the sky at night who notices that the moon and the stars are actually at different angles at different latitudes right mm. and i thought uh, how and i having then used my knowledge of geometry and shapes and perspective to reverse engineer and work out for myself why that is you know mm. um it amazed me that there were actually lots of people with degrees with um, you know phds even who were middle class who had been educated why indoctrinated whatever um, who had higher IQs than me, who actually believed all this, you know, and I, I thought, how the hell can you be so stupid to believe all of this? Mm. You know, imagine you're standing on a pizza, but you're standing at different points on a pizza and you're looking up at the sky. You're not going to be able to make the bodies in the sky look no. like they're upside down by standing sure. on a different part of a pizza. Mm. And then I calculated what the scale of everything would be. A lot of people don't even think to do this. So I, I turned 27,000 miles into... 27 inches and then i calculated of an airplane would be above the earth like barely a millimeter you know at that high or maybe one and a half millimeters i worked out then that if the smallest visible particle that you could see would be in human form would be the crowd according to wembley stadium and anything mm -hmm. below that size would actually be too microscopic to see with 2020 vision right um what would be the scale of all of these things and um and so then i worked out from that that when they were talking about how the curvature of the earth or the or the bend in the horizon doesn't change as you go from um, low to high or doesn't doesn't discernibly change right i then kind of worked out well you wouldn't be able to see the difference on a ball and mm. change your perspective by one millimeter it wouldn't be visible to you mm. and then they were coming up with all these reasons for why um you know that to space um you know, and that NASA were using CGI, and then I was thinking to myself, hang on a minute, are they suggesting CGI? So that standard is 30 years older than it actually is. All right, then, we didn't have CGI back then. Why was it? Oh, oh, it's painting, was it? Oh, well, I can't see the brush strokes. Have you got a good magnifying glass? <laughs> brush strokes. And, and I was just pulling it apart. I mean, it was so obviously And I come to the conclusion now that most people actually don't know that mRNA, mRNA stands for messenger ribonucleic acid, right? Yeah. They ask them, they don't know that, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what these things are. I don't know what protein spikes are. I do know the names of things and I 
do know what I know. Mm. But I don't claim to know what I don't know. I haven't got a clue about any of this. Um, my issue with the, with the vaccines is, is it a human rights issue? Are they going to create some sort of vaccine apartheid? Are they going to create a, a where you can't go into pubs? That's an issue, yeah, fair enough. It looks like we could be going down that road. Is, are we going to need them to travel? Yes, it looks like that's an issue. And I'm, I'm okay to talk about real things, like, you know, when it comes to freedom. But when people start telling you that um, 5G towers are going to be transmitters or whatever, chips inside vaccines are going to be receptors, mm. and that Bill Gates has got this special switch there to murder all <laughs> wrong-thinking people with 5G towers, sure. I just want to slap all these idiots around the head and tell them to shut up. Mm. I'm at that point now where I'm really fed up to the teeth of how gullible people are when it comes to conspiracy stuff. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against freedom of speech, and I, I don't think that having an authoritarian approach to this to tell no. people they can't have a voice. But, of but at the same time, I'm also really concerned at the moment that we that the, we have got too many people going down too many rabbit holes, and mm. I'm probably have to take it on the chin that because of the way I think. Some people are going to be thinking, I've taken the blue pill and I'm now the sheeple. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great point you make, Niall. Um, because the issue that I have uh, personally is there are a lot of um, people who appear to have um, a lot of, um, how should we say, eminent people, the likes of Dr. Vernon Coleman, who's written a lot mm. about vaccines, as we know. Uh, he wrote a very uh, controversial book about AIDS as well. And many um, doctors and scientists, one that springs to mind is Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, whose uh, work I've um, digested a lot online. She's got a really good website as well. But the issue I have is, um, and I'm not like you, I'm not a science-based person, but both of these individuals um, seem to be coming to the conclusion that when we come into the next flu season, so from this autumn, we're literally gonna see scores of people dying now, I personally, now I'm not doing this because I'm taking the blue pill, like you were saying, like people would characterize you. I can't live like that because, I mean, the way I look at it, if that happens, Niall, then I'll have to deal with it. And, you know, if we're commandeering land outside where we live and we're having to bury people and it's like this hideous zombie apocalypse style of world, we'll have to live in it. But as it stands, I understand what these uh, eminent doctors and professors are saying, but on my in my day-to-day -day life, I can't project forward on that basis because it's so dark, it's so disempowering, but mm. I'm not choosing to be ignorant, but I'll deal with that world if that happens. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that like we've got some people who are supposed to be experts like Vernon Coleman and people like that who are saying one thing. We've got some other experts saying completely the opposite. I don't know who to believe. I don't know yeah. who's telling the truth, and I don't know who's gaslighting. I don't yeah. know that because we're living in a very, very fragmented postmodernist world. Um, yeah. People are actually experiencing different realities, and yeah. not just having different opinions, but experiencing different facts, as Douglas Murray who put it. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, and um, we seem to be in a bit of a weird era like that right now. That. Um, also, I don't think, I mean, I don't know, to, to be honest, um, I, I think, well, if that's the kind of world that we're going to end up living in, then um, it's not going to be a very nice world. <laughs> and it, to be honest, it doesn't really make fearing death, it doesn't make me fear death. No. Um, so, you know, 
I'm of the opinion that um, what am I supposed to do? If, I, if I'm one of these people who's unfortunate enough to live to 100 in, in a, this really kind of increasingly <laughs> 12 monkeys, Blade Runner type world, right? Yeah. Um, or am I going to die? Um, am I going to die next year? Um, either way, if I'm going to live, I don't want to be a neurotic. Um, I don't want to be a neurotic wreck um, because of this. I don't want to be bewildered by people who claim to be experts. Mm. And also, I'm. I have my doubts about whether these people, you know, because I mean, right, you can be qualified in as much stuff as you want to be qualified in. Mm. You can have a different scientific model to someone else. You can you can have two people who are scientists. They can be interpreting the science differently to each other and coming up with different um, understandings, seeing different outcomes. Um, you know, there could be an optimistic view, there could be a pessimistic view. But one of the things for sure is that, you know, what they often say about Jewish families, if you have three people, you have four different opinions. <laughs> it's the same with a lawyer. Then they've all got, they all give you different advice. Mm. You know, scientists, they're all going to come to different conclusions. Um, so, the, but the thing is that we've been cowed because we've been accustomed to thinking, oh, we're just we ploy, we know nothing, mm. and um, and we're not, you know, and these people are experts. So, um, in in a kind of way, I think that we're being um, a lot of the time bullied by intellectual bullies, mm. and um, and and I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, it's it's like you call your program discerning consciousness, um, not um not enough people are being discerning mm. and if a lot of people even dare to be discerning well the experts will say well how dare you have the audacity you're not qualified to have an opinion on this you believe mm. me which of course is what they call an appeal to authority fallacy mm. but um and i'm at that point now where i'm just questioning so much and you know i kind of been feeling like i'm being taken for an idiot by all of this stuff right now mm. and um part of me is feeling kind of very angry about it but um but that anger is combined with optimism because i actually do feel that um the world will certainly be much better and um and much nicer than all the doom mongers are going to tell us it's going to be because all throughout my life it's always been like that <laughs> so, yeah um, uh, i think it's it's what you're speaking to i think is there's almost like this uh conspiracy orthodoxy uh, whereby, mm. so the experts that we see in the, the alt media, the likes of Vernon Coleman and others, of course, whereby if you have a conspiracy type mindset, like myself, mm. you know, <laughs> trying to be more conscious and discerning about it, it's like, well, they're the scientists and doctors that you follow, and they're the ones who definitely know what know know what's going to happen. But like you said, Niall, mm. but how do we know? Because although they've got this expertise on board, they're still stabbing in the dark. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this vaccine and what's in it is a good thing. I'm not pinging to the, the other polarity, but like you, you try and bring to your viewers' attention on your uh, channel through an opaque lens, it's about that conspiracy. I call it conspiracy realism, trying to bring, bring it back to the centre point, like you've said uh, with your girlfriend, who I believe lives in Southeast Asia, is that right? Uh, and well, I might have to consider taking the vaccine as much as I wouldn't want to if it means that I can visit her. So it's about coming back to the centre and saying, well, what, 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 what are my options rather than just um, thinking that we, the future is all doom laid and then we just need to follow these people who are, who are predicting that. 
And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I mean, let's hope they turn out to be wrong. But if they are, well, we'll just deal with the world that uh, comes to pass. But in the meantime, let's sort of project into the forward in a, in a positive way without being naive. Mm -hmm. It's true, because I mean, you know, like, um, I'm just thinking there's only one of two things that are going to happen. Either, um, um, you know, we're all going to die next year because yeah. of a <laughs> cock up or whatever, or a conspiracy, or, um, you know, we might live to be really, really, really old, but we might spend all of that time thinking that we're going to die next year because yeah. of all this doom porn that's going around at the moment. And I'd rather, if I'm going to live for a longer amount of time, I'd rather live um, and have, you know, devote enough of that time to more positive and more hopeful stuff than than just merely that i mean there is that dilemma that i got is that yeah i i am you know if i if i didn't have um the girlfriend who i'm separated from um then i would uh you know i would have second thoughts about taking whether i take the vaccine or not. but at the same time if i was in a situation where i was thinking well if i had to um what's the worst that could happen i don't really think that the, uh, most of the worst of the worst of all these doom um things are likely to happen mm. i think um i've and i've been doing my own sort of testing as well i've been finding out w when i've been seeing people who've claimed to have taken the vaccine whether they be famous people mm. um whether they be people on twitter so um a good example is i was on twitter the other day and um what's her name um a couple of people from talk radio um mm. said that they'd taken it so i thought well, I'd follow them watch them week in week out I'll be able to see if it fucks them up. Excuse my French. I don't know. I'm swearing. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so I've been doing that, and so far, no, um, I haven't. I haven't come across any evidence of anything wrong. Also, the the, the hospitalizations in the UK—they've just gone. Yeah. Um, the real conspiracy that I see is, despite the fact that the, the vaccine appears to have been very effective at reducing hospitalizations, the subplot to this is that the government is very reluctant to let go of its um of its uh, power. Over for us imprisoned and you know is, is upping the like making it illegal for us to have holidays wanting to find us five grand if we want to leave i mean um after promising us last year that or that the the vaccine would be the key to freedom so yeah so there's something wrong with the picture that is outside of what we've been told about the vaccine mm. and i don't know why that would be because it, it's um it doesn't make any sense to me. This weird situation that we have at the moment that in Parliament, the people who appear to be on our side are Tory backbenchers. The people who are doing the will of the government are the opposition party. Yeah. And um, that is very, very strange. Um, they keep lying to us, moving the goalposts, changing the story. And my real concern is that when people are putting too much of the, um, they're putting too much of the emphasis on the anti-vaxxer narrative. What they're doing is they're, they're misdirecting us away from the other stuff which appears to be going on, which is very clearly um, a conspiracy, not to con just the conspiracy fringe, but, mm. but to everyone. Mm. And I kind of like um, that what it does is that it means that I'm, I'm more thinking that a lot of people are going to need to rebel against this. So there's going to have to be a big revolt soon. Um, to do with um you know the taking of our freedoms away from us and my concern is that if we are going to be part of this mass revolt against the government it'd be wise for us to be too far in the fringes mm. you know um because you know if we get if we get too far into the lunatic fringe even the people who 
even the you know the, even the people who are going to want to revolt against the government to wrest our freedoms back are going to consider us too mad to want to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, they're going to consider us yeah. nutters, aren't they? So there'd be no, there'd be very little collaboration. Yeah. yeah. Can I just um, yeah, thanks it's for that. True, add, right? add to your your point you're saying, and is is something I picked up on one of your recent videos is that the further down the sort of COVID vaccine conspiracy that you go, the generic narrative that means we're all you know we're all doomed when when we when people do that they lose the nuance or they they lose the bigger picture of the the arguments of a more granular level and it's the granular level where you're going to get people to question more but if you come straight in with the whole bill gates stuff the 5g the whole fact it's said to be an operating system and they can change our moods and all the rest of it through manipulating you know our molecular structure and all the rest of it you lose people but where if you talk in terms of um politics mm. and, and the political debate now we all know that politics is just a nonsense really it's a pantomime but if you want to get people into mm. sort of more our kind of way of thinking which is oh my god there is a real challenge to our freedoms and our way of life that's very dangerous you're going to get people in again in the conspiracy realism in the middle ground and, mm. and then by doing that also you don't it's almost like people uh, and i fall into this trap quite a lot if you if you go too dark you lose the bigger picture because the further down the rabbit hole you go you don't yeah. get any other light coming shining in so and i hold my hand up and say you know if i'm having a bad day i'm feeling depressed it's all too easy to just you know uh, look at the more sinister aspect of what might be in this vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, uh, someone pointed out, in fact, quite a few people have pointed out, um, I've heard a lot of people actually say this, that their freedom um, is not really the, the default setting. The yeah. freedoms that we have are an aberration. It took a long time for us to get to the point where we could live in a world with freedom. It took a lot of wars and it took the threat of fascism and all sorts of things, you know, the uh, the communism things like that, that happened in the 20th century um it took the you know enslavement from empires it took the years of serfdom feudalism uh the you know the, the, the times of barbarism and stuff like that it's taken us a very long time to work out how to be free mm. um in the western world it's not the usual state of being mm. and um and so i come to the conclusion that that um if anything uh it's habits of mind and entropy which are bringing us away from freedom uh, more so than any kind of just grand conspiracy you see i'm i'm not one of these people who thinks there's never a conspiracy of any kind whatsoever and that, no, you know, sure. all the authorities of benevolent i that's that's just as naive you know, as to i'm just as i kind of say oversimplifying as to think that there's a, just a grand conspiracy but what i think has happened is that we end up in a situation now where our authorities have been caught off guard and don't know how to deal with this situation um, because I mean you know they're not omnipotent they're not omniscient and although they may have been sitting down around tables in think tanks trying to talk things through trying to think well there could be this happen there could be that happen we have to be prepared for this when push comes to shove they haven't been prepared for it at all mm. um, they ain't got a clue what they're doing they don't know their arse from their elbow and um, China seems to be coming out of it better than any of the rest of us so you know the uh so who's benefiting and who's not being knocked off track here at the moment um in this COVID era the ones who are benefiting the most 
who are, are going like they've been unperturbed is China and the woke agenda. They're the yeah. only two things I can see that have been unperturbed by events. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to everything else, um, the Western world has been completely knocked for six. I really believe that our politicians have not got a clue what they're doing. Mm. And if we're sinking into authoritarianism, I think it's happening out of laziness and expediency and um, just your, your general run-of-the-mill corruption that politicians yeah. fall for. Sure. So do you think it's almost like by default uh, we, we, we found ourselves in this situation? And um, mm. I like the point you make about the fact that in terms of the history of humanity in the Western world, we've only real, really enjoyed some sense of freedom in a, for a very short period of time. So do you think there could, uh, it could be the fact that the reason why people have been so willing to give up their freedoms and they've complied so willingly with lockdowns is because when we've had it for such a short period of time, this sort of freedom of movement around, not just uh, around the world, but obviously locally as well, when when that when that's under attack, it's almost well we don't quite know how to react. So we go with uh, the government and the authorities, and there hasn't been the kind of pushback. Do you think that's that's at play? Um, well, I think one of the things that has happened as a result of the Western world becoming more affluent over the years, and us getting a better standard of living, and then us having the the technology that we have and the consumerism and the consumer supply chains that mean that even if we're poor, we're comfortably off, and even they even have like smartphones in the third world. I mean, my yeah. God, I remember India yeah. back in the days before the, before that, you know, and because of the world is kind of has become better off in that way. Um, people have just become comfortable and when people get comfortable and secure and complacent, um, they prefer that to freedom. And I think this is what's happening to us now. Um, a lot of people are coming to the conclusion that no, actually comfort is more important than freedom. Security yeah. is more important than freedom. And so we will lose it because of that. Yeah. Um, and it won't be until people are on the streets. I mean, when people lose their standard of living, when the economy is absolutely buggered. And, you know, as I say, what I see happening in the future, in the immediate future, is that we're going to have what I consider to be a K-shaped um, rather than a V-shaped um, you know, economic recovery. Yeah. So that means that the um, big businesses are going to do very well. Um, maybe a few smart people who got into cryptocurrency early might do well out of this, mm. but um, and public sector workers might do well out of this. Mm. But every, pretty much most other people are going to kind of lose up until we get um, a new bunch of crypto entrepreneurs in the future might bring small businesses back in five years' time or something. But but there's going to be a very bumpy next few years. And um, like there's going to come to a point where um, the government is not going to be able to prop this up anymore. And then we're going to end up in a situation where um, the whole of social order breaks down. And either we're going to go in one or two ways. We're going to end up in a very nasty, boot-in-the-face, totalitarian hell. Or mm. we're going to rest our freedoms back. But I'm optimistic. I think that we will rest our freedoms back. I think that... The shock of, um, you know, the shock of going back to totalitarianism, knowing the history of totalitarianism, being better informed in this era gives us an advantage that we never, that, that our, the previous generations never had. Mm. I mean, I'll give you an example. I don't know if you get this, 
but I'm I'm kind of getting really sick to death of people posting videos of Yuri Bezmenov as answers to every question. Oh, without... I've seen it. Yeah. 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 It occurred to me that, all right, Yuri Bezmenov is informing us about this. In a, We're in a better age of information. Hmm. The difference with now is, and the, 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 the Soviets of the old times, was that the, there was no internet. There were no video archives. There was no Yuri Bezmenov in... <laughs> Um, Russia to tell people how the process of moralization works for us to work out how to reverse engineer. Mm. We have that the advantage of having his information now, and as a result, we now know how to do something about it. So that's one of the reasons that make, makes me really angry at the conspiranoid people because they're passively, tacitly, yeah, Good word. They're passively, tacitly sharing this information without thinking. Oh, but we have the advantage of knowing this now. They didn't know could actually prevent this in the future. You see what I mean? That's mm. that's how I'm thinking. Mm. Yes, um, that's that's a very yeah. interesting point. So I wonder if we could just turn to our attention towards we're, we're moving towards a more kind of positive outlook and how we can uh, retain some sense of hope. Because uh, you yeah. recently, in one of your videos, you spoke about this idea of elevated centrism. And this idea of uh, an ideological, an an ideology that's free of ideology. Um, so yeah, I wonder if you could just speak on that uh, as we come up towards uh, the end of this particular video. Well, one thing that occurred to me is that um, um, I think it occurred to me when I watched the the, the Crown on Netflix, right? Um, it made me see the Queen in a different way. Rather than thinking of the Queen as um, you know, as a, a shape shifting reptile, which you know <laughs> the whole conspiracy. Of her, I then started thinking, why, well, as as a person in the position, she's one of the only people who's never taken or never voiced an opinion or a position politically on anything that's ever happened in the world. She'd been around for the longest amount of time. I mean, her first prime minister was Winston Churchill. So she's been around for a very, very long time. And in all that time, by not taking a position and not, not um, you know, by actually doing nothing, um, she's actually done an enormous amount by, you know, by not showing any kind of or not or not not demonstrating or exhibiting any form of ideological persuasion one way or the other. And we're now in a time of ideological possession. Right. Um, where, you know, if they're not coming from the left, they're coming from the right. And the only people that might be coming in the center are just very, very dithery. But then I thought, well, if the queen is above government, um, you don't have to be a monarch to be above politics. You just have to be the sort of person who can look at political shenanigans and going, oh, this is all a load of childish bollocks, you know, mm. and then you partly can think, oh, I'm above all that. Bullshit, right? And just sit there in the middle, um, looking at the bigger picture, and then you just um, observe the the process, mm. and then without without taking a position, without taking a side, uh, I think we have to learn how to train ourselves to do that because because um, you know, my my concern with ideological possession is that we're becoming slaves to ideas that are and we're not we're not being ourselves anymore those ideas are having us rather than us having the ideas and we're mm. we're not the masters we're now the slaves of our and we're being pulled by peer group pressure by emotional weakness and we're not acting purely out of our from our from our individual center so that's that's where i got the idea for elevated centrism yeah, yeah thanks because yeah. before we uh 
came on air just a bit before you were saying the, this problem stems from the way in which we think or the way in which we're taught to think or not taught to think during the whole education system and you were saying that's part of the problem yeah i mean you know um we're we're, we're taught um what to think um you know about um we're taught what to think we're taught what to think about mm. but we're not actually taught how to think you know um, we're not we're not we're told that oh you can have this ideology you can be a left-wing person you can be a right-wing person mm. but we're not taught to uh, we're not actually really encouraged in our sort of the type of education we get subject to anyway um to stand outside of all of these paradigms and, and analyze them like you're outside of the frame mm. we're taught how to be inside the frame mm. and and so I've decided that the one thing I really needed to do in my thinking was to work out how to stand outside all ideological framework at least as much as I possibly could and um, try to understand the process of it, the, you know, reverse engineer the entire machinery of thinking, yeah. which is something that we're not encouraged to do. I think the world would be less than half the mess it's in at the moment if only we were encouraged to do. As I said, you know, before we went on air, that we're not taught monetary theory. No. So we're never taught about fractional reserve banking or debt-based systems we're not taught entrepreneurial instinct so when no. we leave school we're just told to get a job or go to university um but we're not taught to start a business mm. um entrepreneurs who start businesses are usually just savvy people who work the stuff out for themselves mm. um so at the same time i think there's an ideological layer as well that we are not taught you know mm we're not taught um how to think techniques of thinking that could be used that could actually um improve our minds improve mm. our outlooks mm. we're just told well take this off this peg take this off that peg our thinking is off the not bespoke mm. yeah thanks so, for that yeah um i do think um the way in which the internet's developed whereby now it's all about uh developing an audience and a following is I think this also is part of the problem in that you'll get someone and then they'll just project a certain message or ideology if you like and then their audience expect them just to repeat that uh, and then that kind of mm. again that that kind of puts us in these uh, echo chambers or ideological boxes and I know you know um, people are trying to grow channels for good reasons to get you know monetize and get income but um yeah i think that does tend to add to the problem yeah it's true i mean you know i was thinking to myself well i've done a few videos about i was a bit suspicious of brian rose i could have set up an anti-rose <laughs> channel and have 40 subscribers by now but i didn't want to do it so i've only got what 1.1 still that's all right <laughs> i don't want to grow my channel just for the purposes of being commercial you know yeah yeah tell the truth as much as I can, even if this means that um, I'm obscure or, or even if it, even if I did come like um, high profile one day, I don't want it to be for the right reason at the right time, done the right way. Sure. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, manipulating the zeitgeist and acting, um, you know, expediently just because you want to be a cheap crowd pleasing tart, whatever. <laughs> this is what we're doing, really. Yeah. And it's just no better or it's no better than the telly used to be in the old days and the whole point of the internet when it first came out was that it would be of a higher conscious than the telly was when mm. you know before pre-internet era yeah 
mm. but um it's not it's losing that now and mm. you know no, i i want to be you know like i say this the, being sort of the, trying to um acquire wisdom and trying to um you know not not say uh trying to make sure that your own personal truth i hate that phrase my truth they're all saying that now <laughs> modern but you know uh, in order to get it all to come from a from a higher place and to get it to come from a, the highest level of consciousness that you know one can muster um well it's very very hard to do that in an environment where you have to compete in order to get you know to become as famous and as high profile as possible sure. either you're just very lucky mm. in the case of people like people like Zuby or people like Jordan Peterson, you know, people like that who've become, they've developed mass appeal because yeah. they've said something, it's gone right or wrong for them and they've been catapulted into fame and they've become famous for not compromising their integrity. But unless you're willing to have to be mobbed by all your enemies, um, <laughs> which is the only way I could become famous in the right, in the right way for me, the only that's the trouble the only other way of course is to compromise your integrity and just appeal to the echo chamber so it's a it's a horrible dilemma isn't it yeah it is yeah right so we're coming up to the end of our allocated time slot here uh niall i just wonder if you had any uh closing thoughts so we can round up our uh discussion um today all closing thoughts i was trying to think now um, <laughs> I, I put you i put you on the hot spot there now all right well what i would say is you know um people should uh try to um you know imagine a good future i think even more people can imagine a good future mm. i come from that era i mean i, I um what is it? i'm pushing 50 so i grew yeah, up same here. Time, 70. <laughs> yeah so tomorrow's world meets um punk meets new romantic sort of <laughs> It's sci-fi. Yeah. Um, there was a time, despite the fact that we had the Cold War and we could be dead in three minutes if someone pressed a button, we were living in a time where we could imagine this great future with better technology and a better standard of living, right? Mm. And it really captured our imaginations. We've lost that in recent years. People have become nihilistic. I think we need to have um, develop a good positive sense of futurism like we used to have. Mm. Um, I think to come back. Yeah, to, to make the doom laden stuff that we're dealing with now. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think there's um a lot of the sort of irony and sense of humour has has gone mm. from the conspiracy narrative, and it's like I was mm. listening to one of uh, Thomas Sheridan's videos a few weeks ago where he said when he first got into it years ago in the nineties, it was like comic books. It was it was it wasn't about uh, so much of this sort of emotional element to it and about being right and um, there was there was something more artistic about it, if that makes sense. And I think we need to. That's what we almost need to need to bring back to it, without you know compromising our principles. But I think that's I think that's what's needed. Yeah, it needs to get away from this book of revelations doom mongering. That's what it really <laughs> needs to get away from. It needs to get more um, into. You know, like mysteries that were fascinating as well as as well as um scary you know that's mm. what you know i think that's what because he, he often refers to himself as a 14 um you know thomas um and it's like you know when he does a lot of his programs he, he's trying to get the vibe of art bell radio in the in the 1990s and and then you got of course you got ben emily jones who's like that as well yeah. and so yeah fair enough and yeah. although uh, thomas goes too much into the dark for even for my liking but <laughs> 
but yeah. he's, he he thinks with a mind of his own, and yeah, there's not sure. enough of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for thank you very much for that. I think it might be interesting, uh, perhaps, um, to have a discussion in future about how the conspiracy narrative has changed. I mean, we've basically touched on, we alluded to it there, how it's changed and morphed over time, you know, since like things like 9-11. I think that would be uh, an interesting discussion, um, interesting discussion to get into. So thank you very much, uh, Niall, uh, for, 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 for joining me today. And yeah, it'd be good to do it again sometimes. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.